All right, y'all. Today we are talking about um, Jesus, who Jesus is as our mediator, particularly as the God-man. Yes. Um, as we wrapped up our orca conversation, right? Right before we hit record, we're talking about <laughs> dogs that attack, uh-huh. killer whales uh-huh. that attack. Um because of certain circumstances that brought that conversation up. But yes. as a PSA, don't let your dog attack people. Correct. Um, all right. I really, right now, I could go on a rant about dogs. But um, uh, anyway, um, let's talk who Jesus is. We Again, we're going through Bible Basics on yeah. Sundays at Redeemer. Mm-hmm. Um, somewhat following the uh, flow and chapter headings of the Westminster Confession of Faith. Yep. Um, Foundational truths we believe as Christians, and so we have come to uh, Christ the Mediator just as kind of some context, and then I'll throw it to Jeff to Mm -hmm. to talk about his approach. Um, We talked covenant theology um, that we have broken um, God's law and and ultimately the covenant of works that we have not done Mm -hmm. what we should do to fulfill righteousness. We're guilty before God, and so we need grace and mercy if we're going to have any life. Thank God for the covenant of grace that God has said, I'm going to establish relationship with you based on grace. Mm-hmm. And this is kind of what I did with the youth on Sunday, which begs the question, okay, what is the substance of the covenant of grace? Yeah, how can... How is it going to happen? How can that happen? Yeah. Can God just... God cannot just um, take our sins and ignore them or sweep them under the rug and act like they're mm-hmm. not there. He's a just, holy God. So how is he going to establish this covenant of grace with us, which brings us to Jesus? Yeah. So um, big topic here of, of that, that. That's kind of the context, right? If we are all throughout the Bible, we're looking for this mediator mm-hmm. to, to reconcile us to God. And so the question is, who is this mediator going to be? What is he going to be like? And what is he going to do? So that mm. brings to the more specific question of Jesus being God and man. We've got massive early church debates about this issue, this yeah. um, reality, and trying to clarify what we believe. So I'll throw it to you in terms of prepping for the sermon mm-hmm. and what stuck out or what what scriptures came to mind that you went to and, and your whole approach. Yeah, so... Yeah, so we go back to that that covenant with creations embedded into the very um, fabric of the universe. So this is not something that's laid on top of creation. Creation is actually woven uh, in a covenant uh, called creation. It's woven, worded, it's upheld by God's word. So it's in the very DNA of creation. So we can't escape it. It's the, some have called it the spiritual fabric of the universe. Um, uh, it's in you, it's in me. We've seen that in scripture where Paul talks about the law that's written on the heart. So there's a law that came from the outside and one that's on the inside. So that's happening. Um, so that's, what's been broken and it was broken by a man. It was a covenant that God made with man, the first man. Um, and so the curses of that covenant are in effect. Um, the curses of death, uh, not the final full, comprehensive death or we wouldn't be having this conversation uh so creation went sideways it's just a way of visually i have to think this way but 
creation I'm picturing could have uh, gone upward and forward to the consummation if Adam would have obeyed, right? We would have had what's called eschatological life, eternal life, uh, glory that would have happened. So uh, by obeying and uh, letting there be light, uh, so to speak, in Adam, and if he would have obeyed, creation would have gone upward and forward to its full, complete uh, glory, super life, ultra life, but instead uh, a sin, it should have gone down then to its final full death, but it didn't. So I want you to think of going, of creation going sideways. <laughs> so it didn't go up to its ultra by the obedience of the prized image bearer, Adam, um, and it didn't go all the way straight down to a final condemnation or comprehensive death it goes sideways to corruption. Uh, and Paul even talks about that. He calls it a, a, a kindness. He calls it a, a groaning that creation's experiencing now. Um, and that it's God's kindness and compassion, uh, his grace that allows that to happen. It went to corruption instead. So something, even from the moment Adam and Eve are still breathing, something new just took place. I mean, something extraordinary just happened. And it's actually a new song that's never been heard before in creation starts being sung uh, called Grace, because now Adam and Eve and creation are getting something they do not deserve. Um, and so how can that happen? What, how can God be gracious? Uh, so we know, okay, there's a new covenant coming in here, obviously. God's now... Uh, establishing a new relationship with sinners and a new relationship with creation, but how can he? How can he do that? And so that's where we're, we're heading, right? So even right now, if you were to just kind of tease out, all right, if, if God is going to have this covenant of grace uh, and there's going to be someone else that's going to actually, someone else is going to have to go back and fix the covenant of works, right? Um, take its curses, uh, and actually obey. And so it needs to be a, a, another Adam, it needs to be another man. So we know that a, a mediator that's coming will have to be a, a man, but it'll have to be obviously a perfect human being, um, a sinless human being. Um, and so now we're starting to really press into this mediator um, so for me, it was like, uh, who is Jesus and tackling this and wrestling with this? It's going to go all the way back to that covenant of creation. Um, and it's going to go with a second Adam. And then the Bible is going to actually tell us uh, it's going to be like a, a second Israel too. So a true son of God is going to come. And this is where the son of man image and the son of man language comes throughout all the Bible. Uh, this is where the Messiah language comes throughout all the Bible, because they're actually, in Israel's history and through the rest of the Bible, they're looking for uh, a David-like figure uh, that's human, um, not uh, at this time like God, but a human, uh, an, a mediator, a king, a prophet, a priest uh, that's human. And so that's where we get Jesus, uh, the mediator, is 100% man. Um, and then we know, too, that there's uh, Jesus is more than that. 
um, we know that he's 100% God and, and all the confessions and the Bible and the church talks about very God and very man. And we've got this hypostatic union between um, uh, human nature and divine nature being distinct in one person, two distinct natures in one person, not to be uh, conflated and confused, but not to be separated. Uh, there are attributes and characteristics, obviously, that go with the human nature, and there's attributes and characteristics that go with the divine nature, all working in one person. Uh, I'm not going to pretend to understand how all those dynamics work, but there's a lot of good, thoughtful theologians and Bible scholars and experts throughout church history that have written some really good stuff. But this is why you get things in the Bible like uh, Jesus uh, was hungry and thirsty. Uh, well, this is the human element. But then you get things like uh, Jesus seems to be doing uh, some miraculous things that only God can do, and that's where the divine attributes are coming out. Um, so the way I approached it was this, is that, okay, we know that the the mediator needs to be uh, God, and he needs to be man, and the question is, well, why? Uh, everybody really knows that whether you're a Christian or not, I think most people can articulate that at least the claims of Christianity and the way that out people that don't even are a part of Christianity have seen that Jesus is, yeah, Jesus is claimed to be God. Jesus is supposed to be God. And then obviously he's man. Um, and one other thing is we move into that. All right. So there we are. There's the, the right answer. Uh, but why is that significant? Um, I mean, why did he have to be God? Uh, and the answer from the from the scripture is is that only God can defeat and uh, deal with uh, judgment, an infinite judgment, uh, powers, dark powers that are greater than uh, you and me. Only God, and that's where you get this theme, even in the Bible, from beginning to end, that God is actually coming to fight for us. He's actually coming to uh, deliver us. And that implies, and in, in particularly in Timothy, which is very, very interesting, it talks about the mediator in Timothy and in the context of ransom. And uh, only God can actually ransom us. Uh, we can't ransom ourselves. Um, not even a perfect human being can ransom themselves. Uh, only God can ransom us. Only God can go into uh, the kingdoms and realms and the dark powers of sin and death and condemnation and judgment and win. Um, so God fought for us. Only God can save us. Only God can deliver us. Only God can deal with the ransom. That means that we're swallowed and uh, enslaved in powers that are way beyond us, way beyond our control. And so only God could do that. So that's pretty significant. And then the other significance, okay, we know Jesus is also man, God is man. And, and just so we understand this too, uh, divinity, God added humanity, added a human nature to him. So he didn't subtract himself to become human. He added humanity to himself. And that addition of humanity, the incarnation, is where you get the emptying language and you get the veiling language uh, in the Bible, that the humanness veiled uh, the outright 
supra glory of God as being 100% um, God. But we get some breakouts, right? Jesus gave a breakout of his divinity, uh, right, on the Mount of Transfiguration, <laughs> remember? And the three disciples that were there were like, their hair was blastered back. <laughs> and uh, remember Moses, when he saw the glory of God, they told him, please cover your face, it's, it's too bright. So I imagine that they came down from the mountain with a very similar look on their face uh, and even in their physical appearance. So there's breakouts of God's, of Jesus's full, well, I should say Jesus's divinity gets breakouts, Mm -hmm. even though it's veiled in this humanness. All right, so why though did this mediator have to be God? We know he did because he had to fight for us. He's the only one that can deliver us from judgment, sin, death, um, uh, primal evil who had, uh, the, was the Lord of this realm. Um, but why did he need to be man? And the answer also is in that Timothy passage about, uh, the ransom. And that is, is that we go back now to creation. There needs to be another Adam. Mm-hmm. Uh, some man has to take the curses. Uh, he has to become the curse. Uh, he has to become our sin. He has to become the ransom. Uh, he has to pay the debt. Uh, he has to suffer the judgment. Um, and then positively, though, uh, just taking the debt away still doesn't take uh, a human being, um, creation upward and forward positively to ultra life or glory, right? Uh, it's one thing to be forgiven, you can go. It's another to be uh, to be welcomed, you can come, you can approach, you can go upward and forward to life. So the positive part of obedience needed to take place. A human being actually had to complete the covenant of works. The human being actually had to, uh, a true Israel had to obey God. Um, a true human being in your and my place had to obey God perfectly and finally and fully um, in terms of the law. So we needed a human being to be the mediator uh, to become our ransom. We needed uh, God uh, to be, we needed a mediator that was God so that he could actually conquer the ransom and uh, pay the ransom. So that's how we approached it this past Sunday. The way that I kind of tried to hook everybody is that if you live in Waco, you you understand this, and maybe you understand this in yourself as well, is that um, there I called it a spiritual FOMO. There's just this sense, and in churched areas, you, it's, a, it's a fascinating curiosity to watch how people are generally afraid of missing out spiritually. Uh, something happened, a church gets hot, or some ministry mm-hmm. gets hot in town, and, and everybody buys the book. Mm-hmm. <laughs> right? Everybody goes and signs up for that ministry. Every goes to be a part of that men's ministry, that women's ministry, or, hey, can I do that outreach that y'all are doing? And or, how, can my kids go to that youth over there? There's just this fear of spiritually missing out. Um, and what I wanted to, to hook, and what I wanted us to even grow in having that fear lesson is realizing that um, the fear of missing out, we tend to think, well, God's at work over there or God is present there. 
And what we learn from the mediator, what we learn from who Jesus is as being God and man and the significance of it, that, that God is there and that God is at work there, mm-hmm. that wherever Jesus goes, that's where, that's where God's at work. Mm-hmm. Wherever Jesus goes, that's where you can know God's present. And a lot of things that we seem to think we're spiritually missing out on uh, are not uniquely Christian at all. They, they do not have anything absolutely to do with Christianity. Um, having a good small group system does not mean that God is there and that that is uh, uniquely Christian. Mm-hmm. Um, having powerful experiences, uh, experiencing some of the miraculous, uh, you know, crushing it with a youth ministry, you know, a busting out, booming uh, outreach or ministry or passionate gatherings. Um, so anyhow, that was kind of the hook because mm-hmm. uh, I used uh, when Jesus came in uh, to Israel and the crowd was just incredible. It said that they were like deeply stirred. Uh, they were passionate. They were singing Hosanna. Uh, it was a massive spiritual movement. <laughs> I'm sorry, but then at the end, I, I didn't expect it, honestly. I was reading that. I'm like, gosh, this is incredible. This is right before they crucify him. But then at the end, while they're saying Hosanna to King David and all this stuff coming in, it says at the end, the crowd is all, everyone in Jerusalem is asking, who is this? Mm-hmm. It's just classic. Mm-hmm. So, so you can have a, you can have all those things and just not, a, they're not a certain sign that God's at work. They're not a certain sign that God's there. Obviously it wasn't for the folks in Jerusalem because mm-hmm. they didn't know who Jesus is. So I wanted to argue that really, if you know who Jesus is and if Jesus is actively, uh, intentionally being communicated and proclaimed, uh, you can know that that's where God's at work mm-hmm. and that's where Jesus is. Mm-hmm. Uh, we can close it there, but, um, you know, as I was, as you were talking, I was thinking, you know, of of these different like pieces to add or contribute or whatever, which there's so many different kind of aspects to this that you could talk about, especially when you talk about something like, um, the eternal son of God taking on flesh and being very God and very man, fully God, fully man, one person, two natures, you know, the circuits in your brain start to just, you know. Yeah, whatever. Snap. Um, so, but 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 you know, my main contribution to this would be to to uh, let ourselves to pursue marveling at this. Yeah, you know, perhaps more than we do. Um, you know, even as you were talking about the next church fad, right? That takes off and is hot and popular. It's like you know, for every. 99 things we celebrate and get hyped about and revolve around in the church, you know, maybe one time we get hyped about talking about who Jesus is as the God man mediator, Yeah, you know, so much of the time we're distracted by and think all these other things are the key as opposed to upholding, preaching, communicating who Jesus is and what he's done for us and to marvel, right. To, um, to be amazed, to be stunned, mm-hmm. to be overwhelmed by what kind of God is this, you know, that that would do this. It just doesn't, um, it's so natural to us to think in terms of, you know, if then, 
I do this, then this will happen. You know, and then we are met with this gospel, this good news of what God has done that's just, it's mind-blowing. Mm-hmm. It's mind-blowing in terms of his grace, in terms of his love, in terms of his grace, that God would be a God of grace. It yeah. seems very natural to me to think that God would be a God of justice. That comes easy to understand to my wiring. Um, and I think to all of our wiring, we would get that. And if we heard nothing else other than that, that that's all, all God knows and does and is, is justice, we'd go, yeah, that makes sense. Yep. The fact that we have this whole reality that the creator of the cosmos is gracious and merciful is just so mind-blowing to mm. the point that the eternal son of God would take on flesh, be a man where Hebrews says he can sympathize with all of our weaknesses. You know, he can sympathize with all of our weaknesses. He understands. He knows exactly what it's like to be a human, mm. to be tempted by all manner of sin. Um, you know, he knows the intricacies of what it's like to feel lonely, to mm-hmm. feel like your best friends betray you. Yeah. All these sorts of things. To have yeah. this reputation in the public, to walk into a community and you know that all eyes are on you and they are thinking about you in a, in a shameful way, you know, yeah. because your reputation has just been completely tarnished. Mm. You're being lied about. I mean, he knows all that stuff. Yeah. I mean, it's just, it's astounding. He knows it experientially. Um, you, you know, it's just, it's the lengths of God's love and grace and mercy for sinners. And so even when the circuits start to blow, when you start to think about all these things and all these great theological questions, um, you know, I think that it's good for us to always settle back into, I should be amazed at this, Yeah. that, that the mediator is the God man, fully God, fully man, one person, two natures who came down to fight for me because he loves me, to die for me, rise, give me eternal life in him. So um, I'll plug the, um, again, I'll plug the Westminster Confession. If you want to kind of dive into some of this, um, you can kind of go to the Westminster Confession, especially where they've got um, cross-references to scriptures. um, But also the Heidelberg Catechism is great in terms of like Mm -hmm. it it, it asks very pointed questions. Why? This is my paraphrase, but why does it matter that Jesus is God? Yeah. Why does it matter that the mediator is a man? Why does it matter that he was born of a virgin? I mean, uh, we've got these great historical documents that that ask the questions we're asking. They answer them. And again, it'll list scriptures that you can kind of go chase um, as you look into it. And hopefully we all marvel a bit uh, more, trust him a bit more, rest in him a bit more. So... Um, What's up for Sunday? Uh, crucifixion. Atonement. This Sunday? No, this Sunday is conversion. It's a Oh, that's right. Free will, effectual calling. So we're going to... Ah, that's we're right. Gonna, I've been wrestling Thank with God. it. I'm trying to figure out what approach to go where it's, it's personal. Like, how did I become a Christian? How does someone become a Christian? Where does faith come from? Where does faith come from? I mean, it's just all that dynamic. Okay. It's conversion. Just trying to figure out the white, right way to unpack it okay um so conversion and then uh we've got the atonement which will be the sunday right before uh good friday Friday. yeah and then that sunday will be the resurrection yeah should be great so that's what's up uh coming up uh next we are doing uh, if you're listening to this podcast beforehand uh theology after dark 
Arminianism versus Calvinism, um, April 6th. Uh, it's a Wednesday night. And then after that, on our on goodnewsnotgoodadvice.com, there will be a bunch of articles that are going to drop on Arminianism and Calvinism. We'll probably do some podcasts mm-hmm. um, on the topic as well. So that's going to be kind of interwoven in all this is we're going to start kind of uh, unpacking what is Arminianism and Calvinism? Where do these theological positions agree and disagree? I am kind of jazzed on it right now, doing some reading. So I think it's going to be really fun to talk about and really surprising in a lot. I've been really surprised in a lot of ways. Yeah. So anyways, uh, until next time, peace.